Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Talking with Andrew and Chris. I'm Andrew. And of course, I'm Chris. And this week we got to sit down with Gabo from the band Feyuka. Talked about them being featured on MTV, talked about their new music that's coming out. They've been touring all over the world. We got into all of it, and he's probably the nicest human being I've ever met over the phone without meeting him in person. We got into all of it, and I just can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. But of course, beforehand, we always like to talk to you guys about our band, our passion. We're in a band called The Stash, Andrew and I. And recently, we just put out our new song, Run Into Me, on Anchor 84 Records. You guys have been so warm and welcoming to that track, and we couldn't thank you guys enough for all the support you've shown us and our band. And as always, you can find all of our socials at The Stash NY, as in New York, right in the link in the description of this podcast episode. Yeah, and speaking of the podcast, we just want to thank you guys so much for the continued support you've been showing us the last four months. It's been awesome, and we definitely couldn't do it without you. While you're down in the description, we've actually got socials for the show. It's at Talkin' Podcast everywhere on social media. That's Talkin' with no G. So hit us up. Let us know what guests you want us to have next. And speaking of guests that we have next, next week, stick around, come back to the show as we speak with Hayden of the band Tunnel Vision. They're another American reggae rock band, and I think you guys, if you've liked these past two episodes, you're really going to have something in this one for, for all of you out there who, who really enjoy the American reggae scene as much as we do. And with that being said, we're going to jump into a song from Feyuka. This is Tricky Sneaky Sleeves. And we are back with Gabo of the band Feyuka. How you doing, man? What's up, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me. So, how you, how you doing, man? What, what's going on with you? What, what have you been up to lately? I'm doing good. We just got off of a spring tour, and um, I'm just kind of getting readjusted to home life and wrapping up this record that we did, just putting all the ducks in line to get it out here shortly in the fall, and um, just enjoying my life. The weather in Arizona, surprisingly, is actually beautiful right now, so... Um, I'm just enjoying it while I can. Dude, beautiful. L- love to hear that. Yeah, honestly, uh, Arizona is a pretty great, like, southwestern state to be in, way better than New Mexico. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love New Mexico. Don't get me wrong. Albuquerque will always have a piece of our heart, but, like, sometimes the weather out there can get pretty pretty hot. And Yeah, Albuquerque's yeah, really the only it. thing New Mexico's got going for it. It's the only enchanting <laughs> part, in my opinion, but, you know, Arizona's the place to be. Well, I guess you got to travel a little bit more. There's like all these like mountain towns like uh, that we that we always hit up with our buddies, but but definitely Arizona is home. I'm gonna have it's to check out us. those those mountain towns then, because yeah. that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. I've I've only been to Arizona once, um, but it was really pleasant. We went uh, we were there in January, 
So it oh, was, good for you, man. That must have been nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Be, being from New York and whatnot, it was it was really cool. Um, it, it was a good time. And I think don't am, am I right in saying I got in and out there? Yeah, in probably. Depending yeah, yeah. depending on where you were, yeah, probably. Okay. I mean, I'm like, I guess that guy who lives on the East Coast who loves In-N-Out because he had it like, you know, three or four times. I mean, and... In-N-Out goes as far as Texas, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I got it in Texas, too. I got it pretty yeah. much everywhere I could on that little stretch <laughs> we did. I so. mean, you, you have to when you travel to those kinds of places. Like, I don't, Gabo, I don't know if you've ever had cookout in like the, the South, Southeast area. Mm-mm. No, but I feel like your In-N-Out is my, is my White Castle. Or like there you um, go, <laughs> or like Wawa's like okay yeah okay. Wawa's definitely yeah. a better option than White Castle <laughs> to compare to. In-N-Out. I could be I could be not hungry and I could, you know we're driving to the East Coast and we see a Wawa's and we all just pull over and just like stuff our face with like bad gasoline station food. Yeah. Well, that is the best bad gasoline station food you can <laughs> possibly get. Nice. So yeah. so I mean hey you know we've never asked anyone this question yet and I do want to give everyone a little background on your band but before we do that like how do you guys like to eat on the road? I'm kind of a diva when it comes to my diet on the road. Um, I'll I'll blow my whole per diem on one meal just just to eat respect well. Um, I have kind of like a they I eat like a little girl sometimes like a little like a little baby or like a little pigeon. Um, I just it just because like. I don't know, I have kids now and like I do a lot of cooking at home and, and whenever I'm on tour, you know, before it was like whatever dollar menu was available or like, you know, whatever pizza the venue gave us. But I've kind of become more of a diva now and like, you know, the venue will get us pizza and I'll just walk down the road to like a vegan place or like a, you know, somewhere that has just like some like Indian food or something. And I'll just, I just kind of, I try to take care of myself on the road. Um, most of the guys are try to stay healthy but i think ultimately it's just like whatever's available we just kind of go for it and i just i try to make the healthier just i feel like such like such a diva right now no every band's got one (laughs) yeah well that's me (laughs) you know Um, we're 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 only at the point where it's like our only choice is to get a taco bell meal if we want to have enough gas to get to the next show so you know i'm curious i'm curious about these things a little further on down the way yeah we're (laughs) lucky we're lucky we don't have the curse of choice yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, although Taco Bell is pretty bomb, uh, sometimes I'll. T- as far as I'll fast choose- food goes, it's definitely pretty accommodating. Oh yeah, I think like that's the, the one place where I could eat and not feel, not feel it later. You know, like Taco Bell and and even like In and Out is another one that I that I do a lot of. See, but I always try to like. I mean, I'm not like full on vegan or vegetarian or anything, but I, I try to follow like a vegetarian diet. So if I do go to like an in and out, I'll just get like a, like a grilled cheese, you know, with like, with like grilled, grilled onions or something. So I try to stay away from like the processed meats or like the, the, the ground beef that you get at fast food places. Right. Does, does in and out do what five guys does and they have that lettuce wrap option instead of a bun? They do that as well. Cause that, I did that once and I was pleasantly surprised by how surprisingly good it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Because I think ultimately you're, you're you're enjoying like the sauces and like the cheese and the meat and stuff, yeah. So you ate the craft, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, dude. But I, I just I try to eat as healthy as possible. We 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 install the fridge in the in the bus. It sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. And like whenever it's working, I just stock up on on groceries and I I just eat like hummus and veggies and like nuts and like you know just. Hel- as healthy as I as I could eat on the road, but right bird food. Don't get me wrong, 
then I'll have like a whiskey night and then here I am eating like, you know, three burritos at the end of the night, you know, like I'm not afraid to put them down. I just, for the most part, I try to just, you know, eat as healthy as possible. That's good. Cause then when you put them down, you can really put them down. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm a singer myself um, and we haven't done too much, uh, you know, in the way of touring extensively yet, but I'd have to assume that, you know, you notice an increased and, and better vocal performance eating right. Am, am I correct in saying that? I mean, I guess so. You know, I'm not really the one to take care of my voice that much. I, I talk at the end of the night. I don't, I don't hydrate when I should. I sleep probably like three hours a night on tour. So I think like I'm always on this like prima, prima raspiness, you know? Um, but, but definitely like when I eat healthier and I exercise, there i can notice that i just feel better about singing and i think it's just my energy levels higher and i'm more confident about you know my breathing or whatever you know no totally yeah i mean i guess for me i always hate being on that borderline you know i'm i mean i think i'm too inside of my own head i would have to say you know so so that that's got to be a factor in it but i just hate that whole like the slightest bit of discomfort i'm like oh no this is we're not going to be able to do this and it's just oh, terrible yeah. so i've just learned to just like I know exactly what you're talking about. I think I've just, by now, I'm just like, whatever. This is this is my voice tonight. Deal with it, you know. Um, but surprisingly, like, there's times where I think my voice is gone, and I just I just do a couple warm ups, and then I go on stage and I I sing just like the record, you know. Um, it's just I don't I don't know. I think I've just gotten used to just like singing through my raspiness, you know. Yeah, f- fair enough. Now, now I think. We let's let's give our our listeners some context, you know. So Feyuka and, and you as a mu- musician in general, c- can you take us back, sort of like to what first piqued your interest in music, and then sort of maybe like bring us through, and you have as much time for this as you want, and and, and may like bring us through like a history of Feyuka, sort of up to where we are right now, and, and what you guys have been up to, or even maybe if it starts with just you as a musician that leads up to Feyuka, you know, just what's the backstory? Yeah, like you know, there's a lot, I'm sure, but so I think, um, you know. Y- you're kind of born this way, you know what I mean? <laughs> like you're, you're uh, you know, I, I was born with an inclination to music. Uh, there was music always around in my house. My dad was a producer of like a, a radio show in Florida. My mother was like the the spokesperson or the the host of the show. So we always, he was always, you know, <clears throat> picking out music and going through through old records and stuff. So I was, I always grew up around music, and I'm Puerto Rican, so in Puerto Rico, like whenever we would take our family vacations, there's always congas and guitars and, and maracas and shakers. And, 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 you know, we get together with, with our family and we just like sing salsa music and eat, you know, eat, eat good food. But then I think it was like when I was finally like in elementary school and I could write a couple words on a, on a paper, a couple sentences, I just started writing songs for friends of mine. And then we would all go and like rap in the lunchroom. And then, when I moved to Arizona in high school, I met these two guys that would change my life forever. Um, <laughs> There's always uh, that moment. Yeah, my original drummer and my original bass player. Like I was writing songs, and and they had a band that just had like a DJ and like a drummer and a bass player, but no vocalist. So we just started doing it for fun, right? Like hop hop the the canal and 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 go across the town and take the shortcut to their house and every day we would just jam for like you know five six hours in their backyard and then eventually we were like interested we had a couple of really good songs well we thought were really good songs at the time and 
And then I just started calling up every venue that I could find in the local, like, like new times, like the entertainment newspaper. And we got our first show and then we were like, shit, what do we call our band? You know? So my drummer at the time, he was really into this, this whole culture of like Fayuca, which is the black market of Mexico. And like, I guess like in Mexico, you know, you could go to these like shops called La La Fayuca and, and, and like, it's almost like a swap meet style and you just, you could buy like, you know, things on the black market, you know? So we named it Fayuca, it kind of stuck. And then we just kept writing songs and then eventually fast forward, you know, into like our adult life out of high school. Now we're in college and we had more friends and we started playing more. And then we started getting out of town. You know, people started inviting us to, to play at it, like in California and we were trading shows and, and actually Mike Patty from the pier was the first one to give us a show. I don't know if you're familiar with the pier.org, but. Oh yeah. Mike, yeah, Mike sure. Patty at the, at the time he had a thing called sense board where it was a, a clothing line. And um, they were doing like compilations and, and booking shows. And and he took us out there. We started trading shows with Chapter 11 and all these like old school and like uh, Stone Senses and all these old school like California bands. And eventually like we all got really excited about like touring and playing shows that like we started taking that model and like hitting up friends from Albuquerque. You know, Big Spank was a band that we were like, hey take us to Albuquerque, we'll bring you to Phoenix. You know, we had some leverage out here so we could, like, trade shows. And then we hooked up with, like, Mike Pinto at the time and did the same thing with him in San Diego. And, like, and then eventually, like, it just turned into something that we were really addicted to, which is, like, traveling and playing music. And then now where we are now, like, I mean, those members aren't with me anymore. And, and unfortunately, you know, like, kind of grow out of that and, and you move on. And they're all in different bands and... I stayed with, with Fayuka and um, pretty much just like hit up a couple of friends that w- would want to join the band and we became brothers and we started doing the same thing, just like recycling that model of of traveling and playing music and putting out records. And, you know, eventually like we signed with this publishing company that got us on like MTV and, and we did this whole like MTV launch and we did all these like tours like for all these like, you know, with all these like support tours with, with bands um, that were much bigger than us. And then now here we are with, with a record ready to, ready to be released in the fall. And, and, and we actually have a fan base in more, more cities than just our hometown. I mean, that's kind of in a nutshell, you know, there's a lot of stuff like in between, but I figured, you know, I, I jumped like, you know, five years at a time. <laughs> so no, no, totally. Now, so you 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 started Fayuka. This is the first and only band you've ever been in. Exactly. And you were what age when you started that? And and how old are you now? Just so people can see like how long of a journey this really has been. I'm 34 right now, and then, um, I'm a young 34. <laughs> <laughs> a young 34. 34 years um, young, baby. I get confused sometimes for still being in my 20s. When that happens, I'm like, hell yeah. But, um, <laughs> no, I'm 34 now. I started the band when I was like 17, 16 or something like that. And then we didn't really start touring until like, until when we hit like college. And that was probably like, you know, I don't know, when you're in high school, freshman year. So it was like five years into the band being like a thing. We were just doing like backyard parties and it was just like a hobby, you know? 
And I, I think at, I think at about like eight years of just like having it be a hobby that we were just doing like backyard parties and hanging out. That's when, that's when like we actually started taking it seriously. Um, so I think we've been around, we've been, I've been playing music for about 15 years now. I think like the last, the last five years. So like maybe when I was like 28 is when I was just like, okay, this can be a career for me. You know, that's when like the whole MTV thing happened. And, and then, so I think like the last five years has been like a huge, a huge jump and like a, like a huge, like a, like my mind was made on, this is my plan A and plan B. Right. But for a lot of the time, it was just trying to figure out what the hell were we trying to do and like, you know, taking it from a hobby to something that was actually like sustainable, you know? So, so when it, when you started Fuyuka, it was just kind of for fun, right? Yeah, it was for fun. So then can I ask what was like, if, if being, if Fuyuka, you know, making it wasn't your, your goal and aspiration in life, what was your goal? before it was let's make Fayuka my job. I love I love writing music. I mean, there's always that passion for music. And I think it's also the passion for people. So like um when I was going to college, I dropped out of college by the way. But when I was going to college Same. <laughs> I was going <laughs> kind to school of same. to be a so- I was going to school to be a social worker. Like I wanted to just work with people and help, you know, find find identify a, a problem and then just fix it, you know? Um, and you know, if, if someone's broken, my, the thing that got me excited every morning was to like, talk to them, befriend them and then help them through whatever issues. And I think that I got that same feeling from playing music, you know, when like people come to your show and they, they let loose and they're dancing and you see them like drenched in sweat. Like, I mean, there's videos on YouTube now, like from back in the day where we're playing in front of like a thousand people and like everyone is just like drenched in sweat, you know, and they're just loving it, dancing. And I think that that was the fulfillment that I got never knowing that, that that could potentially turn into like my main source, my main source of like, like I'm raising a family right now, you know, like I have two kids and, and a wife and, and I, I never thought the music was going to do that for me. At that time, it was just the excitement of, watching people just like let loose and love our band and love the music that I'm writing. And I think, you know, the passion for writing music and realizing that I can, that I could, that I could move people with it was like the biggest motivator. And then eventually when the whole MTV thing came and the, and the label signed us and everything and like, and then there I met my first like mentor who, who, who was a musician and made a career in music and eventually ended up starting a publishing company and is very successful in that. I start, I, you know, I realized then that like, okay, maybe, maybe I don't have to go back to school. Cause I always had this thing like, you know, when I'm 30, I'll go back to school and finish my social work, you know, degree. And then I realized that like, I don't need to do that. I could actually put together a structure for this, for this band and turn this into my career. You know what I'm saying? So just, just to like, to recapitulate, um, I loved, I love writing music. I love people, and I love, I love just like the whole like social aspect. And like, I just went to Cali Roots this past weekend, and it was my first time going to Cali Roots. And to see the community that the reggae community is, it just blew my mind. I've been in this for so many years, and I never saw it 
the way that I saw it at Cali Roots. And that is the stuff that motivates me. So I think like the 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 people the and the music was my driving force. Interesting. I got I got to ask you about this because, and and Andrew might not like hearing this being my bandmate bandmate, but um, you, you know, Ooh, <laughs> you know, dude, my plan is I'm 25 right now, and like there is this thought in the back of my head where it's like, all right, well, you know, by 30, and I think we're gonna get there, but by 30, I will go back to school and finish my degree. So was that a scary decision to just decide to go all in? I mean, obviously it paid off, but like. You know, I'm having those thoughts right now, and I'd, I'd be curious to see someone who's on the other side of that. And I think a lot of our audience is, is Andrew and I's peers and people sort of at our level who want to get to a sustainable level like you found in Ballyhoo and other bands we've talked to. So could you could you sort of talk us through that that thought process, if you don't mind? It takes it takes some courage, you know, and I think that like. I mean, at 25, like you're still super young, you know, like and I feel like I'm talking like an old man, but I just. I think back, like I feel 25 right now, right? Just like with the lifestyle that I live. But, but I noticed that like between 25 and 34, there was a huge shift in my approach to things. And I never saw myself going back to school once I reached a certain point, you know? And I was still like eating ramen noodles and sleeping on my friend's, you know, couch when I realized this is my plan A and plan B, you know? Um, it was, I think that time will come for you. If, if, if it is what you want to do, like you're, you're just going to do it. You're just going to, you're going to feel it, you know? And it, it's not scary. For me, it wasn't scary. Cause I was just like, like can I cuss on this podcast by the way? Is of course. Like a, okay, yeah, man. Cool. Cause every now and then I got these F-bombs that I'm going to throw out. <laughs> but, Let them fly. <laughs> like, um, it wasn't scary because like when you know, you know, you know, like, you know, when you know, you know, you know, like, exactly. You just, you just like, it's like, it's like at 25, I was putting in as much work into this band as possible. That by the time I was 28, like there was just like no turning back. No school could ever teach you or can, can ever give, could ever give me the values that I learned from being on the road, from meeting people, from, from having those like drunken, you know, 6am conversations with the band that you're on tour with about like, you know, the universe and, and shit like that. But so like, it was, it wasn't a scary thing for me. The scary thing for me was how long can I keep this going? Cause I feel like every single time I had the song called beginner's luck, right? It was like, it was the first song that, that, that really like made a dent with our publishing deal with, with fervor records, like Fox sports picked it up and it was getting played on, on rotation on their like NHL season on their NFL season on their, you know, it was like, it was like the background music for like the, the highlights. And that's when I started seeing like a significant jump in like our royalty checks. And, and I was like, it was weird because beginner's luck was a song I wrote about like, Oh man, like how long can I keep this going? Like, I feel like I just had a, str- a streak of beginner's luck, you know? And then the scary part was like, how long can you keep it going? But then when you're just like certain in what you're doing and the reasons why you're doing it, and every single day you wake up grateful that, you know, that that you're doing what you love doing. And then you just, like, you work hard. Like, if, you, if you're a writer, every single day you should be writing a song. Because you should be grateful that, like, that's, that's what you're doing, you know. 
if if you're like a, a the guy that handles all the booking and all like the the merchandising and the marketing for the band, as I was. Every single day I wake up, I fire up my computer, grab my coffee, and I start reaching out to bands and venues about booking the next tour. And, like, the scary part was, like, how long can you keep this going? But once you're just, like, you get into your groove, for me, it was just, like, there was no turning back. And that's just the lifestyle that I chose, you know? So to answer your question, no, it wasn't scary. Yeah, no, fair enough, man. I think that, you you know, I, I feel comforted hearing you respond the way you did. Because it, you know, it it does feel right right now, and um, I can't I can't say that I'm I'm super happy with where we're at. But yeah, um, it's definitely it, it's definitely easy to feel uneasy when you're doing this kind of thing, and you're like people are asking like, oh, how's the band doing? And you're like, oh, it's good. You know, we're doing this, we're doing that, and they're like, oh, cool. And then you're like, but I also still work at this place. And they're like, oh, so it's not doing that well. And you're like, well, it's you know more than that. So sometimes it's hard to uh, keep that you know passion when things aren't uh as easy i guess but it's good to know that as long as you just put your work in and you keep your head up that it should it, it, it'll pay off oh for sure there's a song um there's this chick vanalia we just went on tour with her she's got this song called when it feels right you should listen to it it's awesome lyrics and it talks exactly about what we're talking about right now yeah i've actually i've actually been meaning to uh give her a listen so i'll, I'll definitely do that I, i'm i'm pretty well versed in this i guess american reggae scene that i think you guys sort of float around in and and so with with that being said i'd like to actually transition into how would you describe your sound because when i listen i hear i hear reggae i hear punk i i I hear fusion of all sorts of styles yeah some real radio pop melodies yeah yeah exactly so so i'd love to hear how how you would describe feyuka it's like an ever-changing thing but there's always that that constant you know which is like reggae um Depending on where what's motivating us at the time the most, it kind of influences the writing direction that we're taking. We, um, I mean, we grew up in the skate parks on the west side of Phoenix at house parties where punk rock and reggae was a thing, you know. Um, I mean, I grew up listening to Sublime and like they're when they would go from punk rock to ska to reggae in one song, you're just like, damn, that is freaking sick. So, like, Definitely, like, that That still lives in our music. But as we mature as musicians, we start getting a little bit more, um, I guess, versed in, like, the songwriting process and, and, and how to, like, transition between, between melodies and chords and stuff. So, like, in our newer writing, you'll hear a lot more of those pop melodies, but it, it's mainly just because we're adding a lot more chords into our music and we're thinking about different ways to say things you know, before our songwriting was very, very direct, whereas now it's more like, I guess, like metaphoric or poetic in a way. But like, um, so anyway, so I think it's a mixture of like reggae with like some punk. But now we're starting to stray away a little bit from the punk. And it's essentially just like a bilingual reggae rock alternative fusion thing, you know. We do a lot of tours with these like Latin reggae bands, which is a huge market in its own. You know, sometimes I think it may be just as big, if not bigger than than the American reggae scene. And, you know, we we made it a point to to keep those roots because we can jump back and forth between Mexico and the United States and still have killer shows. No, yeah, totally. So it, it, it almost seems like you guys are living in two worlds at the same time. <laughs> Dual reggae citizenship. 
Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I love it. It's great. I mean, we we mix some cumbia into our music. I think that's what kind of makes us stand out a lot of times when we play out. Like, we, we do a lot of tours with, like, Badfish. You know, those are really good friends of ours, and they, they take us out often. And when we do those Badfish tours, like, you know, we're just another reggae band until we break into some cumbia and people are just like, I could see it in their eyes. Like they're just mind blown because they, they're not expecting that, you know? Um, so we definitely do live in these two different worlds of English and Spanish reggae, but yet the community, the reggae community is so big and so accepting that it, it kind of works in both on both ends, you know? Totally. Now you guys just got off a headliner. Um, do you find there's a crossover? Or, or when you're headlining, what kind of audience do you find is coming to your show, considering you, you sort of live this, you know, this, this double life, quote-unquote? Um, yeah, there definitely is a crossover. We, we did this tour with Dread Marai, who's like the hottest like Latin reggae artist right now. And he came from Argentina. We did the West Coast with him. And every single show was sold out Monday to Monday. And it was such a great opportunity. And we were so grateful for him giving us that opportunity. But we are more grateful for him giving us that opportunity because when we came back out on a tour after that, we saw a mixture of like Latinos and Americans in the same room singing Spanish lyrics, however they can make them out, you know? So there definitely is a crossover. And I think that's like the beauty of like our music being so, so just like open to the world, you know? Or at least like the Latin and the American world. Right. Now, I've noticed on, on, on some of your albums, you know, there, there are some songs in Spanish and there are some songs in, in English. How, how do you decide as a songwriter, like when the moment is right to choose which, which language to put on that specific song? Um, there are certain topics that sound prettier in another language. Like, have you ever listened to Manu Chao? I have you not. You know that it's... No, I'm oh, not familiar with that. I need to get your hit to this guy. So like, <laughs> oh, I'm ready. Mother Chow will sing in Italian, in French, in Spanish, and in English, right? And like, there's some some songs that he sings in English, that, or that he sings in Spanish, or he sings in French, that if you would have sang that same topic in English, it probably wouldn't hold the same, like you know beautiful you know approach so whenever i write in spanish like there's some political songs in spanish um the one that we actually got our mtv thing with uh porque seguir like you could write a political song in english but there's but that song needed to be in spanish um because of of the aggression but yet the the uh like the voice of 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 power that was coming through those lyrics um so I think we choose we choose the language. It just kind of comes to us, right? But ultimately, it's like depending on what topic it is. Usually, like you can express yourself better in this language, you know, when you're talking about like a romantic love that has broken, and you feel like you're you you you're begging for her apology, you know. Whereas, like in English, it's more like the romantic love that was broken, she fucked me over, you know, get out of my life. Like those topics for me are easier to write, you know, in English and Spanish. Um, so I think, I think when, depending on what mood I'm feeling, naturally the lyrics will come to me either in English or in Spanish, depending on what the mood is and what the topic is. 
Yeah, I. It's so weird to think about because it's. I've never thought about that with music, but I've definitely seen it in like TV and movies and stuff. Like, like whether it's like a Netflix show from Germany that like when you watch it with the English dub, like you know, like the actors are doing a fine job, but it's just like you don't get the same feel. And it happens yeah. all the time with anime too. I don't know if you watch an anime, but like there's so much anime that just sounds so cheesy and dumb in English. Yeah, the voice acting does not just like, does not translate. But even the way even that... sometimes when the voice acting is good, it's just like I don't want to hear dudes talk about ninjas in English. Like I want to talk. Yeah. I want to hear ninjas speak Japanese and look cool doing it. That's what I want exactly. to see. It doesn't sound the same. So I totally get that. Same, same theory. The um, the Porquesa Gid song. Here's an interesting story. All right. So I wrote that song in my mom's garage. Um, I was transitioning between moving from Phoenix to LA to like, I was going to, I was doing the whole LA thing. Like I'm moving to LA and I'm going to like, you know, springboard my career, you know? Um, quickly I realized LA will chew you, chew you up and spit you back out. But um, I wrote it in my mom's garage and my drummer came over, he set up and we started writing the song and I just wrote it because I was, I saw something on the news about Venezuela and like they were going through some like political issues. And then, you know, fast forward years later, we get that publishing deal, it gets put on MTV, whatever. And then it became like our popular song here in town and like around the Southwest. And it resonated with the people in Mexico. So when we did our very first Mexico show, we were supporting Gonwana, which was like a, a legendary like uh, Chilean reggae band. We were playing in front of a sold out crowd in Nogales, Mexico which is like beautiful, but super dangerous, depending where you're at, you know? Because all these people travel to the border to try to get through. They get stuck because they can't get through to America. And then they, there's no jobs there. So they eventually they live a life of crime, you know? Uh, don't get me wrong. There's beautiful people in Nogales, but that's just kind of like the dynamic of that town, right? So we played Porque Seguid for the very first time, you know, six years later after writing it in Mexico. And it talks about like how these people are oppressed by the government and it's time for the oppressors to like overthrow the oppressed, the people who are, it's time for the oppressed to overthrow the oppressors. Right. And we're singing it for the first time. And I'm looking at like a sold out crowd of all these Mexicans in Nogales holding their heart, singing the song out loud, dancing, throwing beers on the stage for us, just like having a really good time. And like, there was no sign of oppression in that room for that moment, you know? But they really like got into the song. And I swear to you, when we got to the bridge, I like, I started crying. I was like, I can't believe that I wrote this song six years ago. And now I'm actually singing it to the people who this was like meant for, you know? And um, if that song would have been in English, it would not have held the same weight because Although there's there's like there's like talks about corruption in our government and and us being oppressed somehow, I'm gonna go ahead and throw it out there that it's not as bad as it is in other countries, you know. So if I would have written that song in English, I don't think it would have held the same weight that when I went to Mexico and I sang that song to these to to the Mexican people in Spanish and in, in in our language, I just I burst into tears on stage. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, that. That's that's the difference between like writing an English song and a Spanish song. No, I mean, I, I think that is the thing about music that has kept me going since I was 
like, you know, pretty much 11 when I fully fell in love with it. It's just, it, it's the layers that it runs deep. You just added a whole new, you just added years of exploration that I don't know if I would have ever gotten around to this quickly. So yeah, I, I think I'm starting to see what you're saying about that. And it, yeah, that sounds beautiful, man. Like that, that was Probably top 10 best stories shared on this podcast uh, so far. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's definitely up there. Top 300 for sure. <laughs> top 300. <laughs> I could yap forever, so stop me if I go on too long. I always I always throw the disclaimer out on. I mean, the show's no, called dude, Talking. It, yeah, dude, this is, <laughs> this, is, this is just more than I think me and Andrew could, could have hoped for. Now, you, you've been bringing this up a lot, so I'm curious because... I would venture to guess with my knowledge of how the music industry has has developed with, you know, uh, watching classic rock documentaries and sort of like being, I, I, I like to think I'm well versed in the history. It seems like MTV came along for you guys a little after their peak, but it also seems like you're saying they did quite a lot. So c can you talk us through that experience and sort of how you benefited from MTV, which to my understanding was sort of on its way out at that point in time? So like when we do a show in some random town in like, I don't know, Pennsylvania or something. Right. We don't, we don't get like a mob of people coming to the merch table saying, Oh my God, I saw you on MTV. Right. Um, so f for that, I mean, no, like MTV didn't, I, I see where, where MTV could be dead. What it did for us is it, it allowed us to work within this, like, sandbox of, of, of people that can open other doors for us, right? Um, first of all, that publishing deal with Fervor Records was one of the best things that ever happened to me and the band because it, it taught us that in order to make it in music, you have to think of, and this is maybe more, you know, more than like the average like person cares to listen to, right? This is more just like industry stuff, right? But like, Right off the bat, no, MTV does not blow you up like they used to before. But when we're now being introduced to like music supervisors who got us a deal um, where we wrote the main title theme to a Robert Rodriguez TV show. You know, Robert Rodriguez, he was the guy, of, he made Desperado. He was the director of like Spy Kids. and Oh, yeah, and, I, I'm yeah. well-versed. So we wrote the main title theme to his TV show, Matador. And that came because of the... because our record label, who was our publisher, publisher at the time, got us the MTV thing, introduced us to these people, and then opened up this other door to write this main title theme to this TV show. Now, it's an instrumental. At the end of the show, it doesn't say music by Fayuka, right? But that just opened up these royalty streams that allowed us then to, allowed us then to funnel some of that into writing the next record, sustaining our next tour, hiring more musicians, and just kind of becoming a more established band at the level that we're at right now. Um, and it, it's also really cool to put it on your EPK. They're like, hey, fight you go on MTV, and like, here's how many views that video got, you know? So like, we don't throw that around like that was like our big, our big highlight, but it was definitely like a, a life-changing moment for us because now we became it opened up this like new revenue stream for us through royalties and opened up a lot of doors for us through introducing us to the people who work at these other TV stations and just kind of like started making writing, started making the idea of writing music a little more 
like there was more future in writing a really good song you know the beauty about the industry now is that like we could release our own records through like online distributors like CD Baby or or TuneCore or you know One RPM, and we could be like our own record label. And then you sell a couple records, and you play a couple shows live, and you 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 submit that to BMI Live or ASCAP Live or whatever, and you get paid a little royalties on the back end, and you get a little bit of iTunes sales and a little bit of like Spotify royalties and and all that stuff. But then there's this whole other side of the industry that I think every musician should at least explore a little bit. And it's how do you, how do you write a really good song that can make you residual income forever? You know, Um, because when Spotify dies, which I don't think it ever will, there'll probably be another, another like version of it that'll come up. But like when Spotify, the idea of Spotify today dies, film and TV is still a thing, you know? Um, so what MTV did for us is uh, it, it opened our eyes to this, to this other way of put, putting your music out there. The, the hope is that somebody shazams you on a TV show, finds you online, buys your merchandise, buys a ticket, comes over to your show, shakes your hand at the merch table and becomes a diehard fan. But the chances of that happening on a large scale is very slim because it's background music on a TV show. But it opens up this new revenue stream where then you can funnel some of that income into like advertising or into your next record and then become an independent band in a sense, you know, whatever independent is nowadays. And just like, and just, just make this music thing into an actual career so that you could, so that you could focus on the things that you love and it's writing music. Does that make sense to you at all? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. You you have to be able to, sacrifice pocketing the, the profit at first to reinvest into your into your small business is essentially what i'm getting from that yeah in a sense i mean i think i think the mtv thing just kind of like opened up this new this new revenue source for us that allowed us then to like do the other things that we love doing you know um now that didn't live forever you know because then eventually we got taken off rotation but yet we're still on we're still you know, connected through like the Fox Sports thing, and like our music is always getting played on Fox Sports, and like our publisher is still doing a really good job of getting our music out there. I think that like that MTV thing was just like a stepping stone um, to get to where we are now, like and where the music industry is now. Like it just it just kind of like really helped us. Just how the kids are saying nowadays, uh, level up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, well done. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where you know. Uh, young musicians coming up they're just thinking all right i need to put out a good song i need people to listen to it i need people to like the song and i need people to come to shows but there are all these other ways that music is used that you can i guess utilize to fund the actual quote-unquote you know like musician life kind of thing yeah and that's just like and it's and it's not even like a corporate thing where you're like selling out writing a theme song it's just you're writing music and that's just another way that music is used like i listen i'll i'll be the first to admit i listen to the sims deluxe edition soundtrack like just on the regular because it's great music you know so like there are plenty of ways to get your music out there for people to listen to and i think that it's important that people realize how many other ways you can put music out yeah, and, and I, I think with the advent of the, the internet and what has become social media and social media marketing, 
yes, sometimes you need a label because maybe you just don't have have the money that you would need to funnel into the ads. But I think like there's less of a fear of doing it on your own and working with an indie label because we're starting to see people like you guys who are able to sustain and continue to grow through just just being smart and and realizing that there are other channels now to to you know get yours as as the kids are saying (laughs) and um so you know that's that's actually i think that's something that's going to resonate with our audience for sure and i think like ultimately like look man like the 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 main motivator should not be money right like like it's i mean it's important because like how are you going to get from like new york to delaware and back if you're not making enough money to put gas in your tank right or like to eat or whatever but all of those resources they'll, they'll come to you as long as like the intent is there from the beginning so like you know when we talk about like you know this new income stream through royalties or whatever it's not that like you're selling out and like you you're just writing music like i'm not just writing catalog music i'm writing music that i love and that's why like 90 percent of the music that we write does not get put on film and tv there's only, like a handful of songs you know um, that just happened to like make that cut. And I think that like the, the, the initial intent should be writing the best music that you possibly can at the time, because that's what your heart tells you to do, you know? And then everything else will just start gravitating to you. It's like you put out these satellites through like your music. And if, and if people, if people are gravitating to that, to your satellite, it's because they really feel like the passion that you're putting behind every single song that you're writing. You know what I'm saying? 100% man I um you know th- you obviously that's why we all start because we love music and and it spoke to us you know all of us here at a very early age but but anyone at any point in life could fall in love with music I, I truly believe that unfortunately though the real world does come into play so it's I think it's I think it's it gives hope what you just said to to sort of like we said our peers and younger musicians who might be listening to this who want to be able to keep putting albums out you know they, they maybe they you know, broke the bank recording that, that EP in their hometown, and they're like, well, I would love to do another one, but this might be it. So it's nice to know that you don't need a major label to come along to help you be able to keep progressing your art forward. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think so. I don't know. I've never been on a major label, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I have friends that have been on major labels, and, and I'm like, man, how did you do it? But like, dude, ultimately, as long as you're happy, you know, chase the happiness and always be grateful that like you're able to do that, you know? Totally. Now, I-, I would love to talk about your new single, Other Lovers, because it is a fantastic song. Um, I- that's, you know, I've, like I said, I- I'm very familiar with the American reggae scene. And uh, w- once you guys dropped that, I-, I was hooked. And yeah, I'm not as familiar, but I was definitely hooked the first time I heard it. it like, it's well, hey, it looks like, it looks like we need to start familiar- familiarizing this guy with the music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, kn- I don't know nothing. but but so so why don't you talk about talk about that song the creative process um it features someone in your band so that that's a bit interesting yeah man so okay so so danny t um i've known that kid he's probably the guy the guy that i've known the the longest in my life he used to be in a band called well he still is in his band called captain squeegee and he approached me with this song I was kind of going through like a writer's block and I was like, yo, dude, like you're such a good songwriter, you know, let's collaborate on some stuff. Maybe it'll help me open up, you know, this like new portal of, of songwriting. So we wrote the song called St. Mary Jane, which we wrote it. I was like hammer drunk at like 9 a.m. And he was like super stoned. And we were both sitting at, at my friend's uh, dining table in San Diego. 
and he was doing some work on the computer and I was recording some music on my on my on my laptop. And I was like, hey man, let's write something to this. And then all of a sudden it sparked that song St. Mary Jane. And it was the first time that anyone else has ever sang on, on any record that Fayuka's ever put out. And although he's a band member, it was he is an artist, you know, a thorough like everything he does is very artistic. Even the way that he that he holds a conversation, even the way he dresses and the way he walks and talks. And like we needed a showcase scat that Captain Squeegee is responsible for this song happening, right? Well then <clears throat> because he felt that there was like a uh, like a he wanted to kind of get away from the Captain Squeegee thing because he's like his own artist and that was his old band. He we decided okay, so I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. So that writing process was so great that we wanted we were chasing that dragon and we wanted to do it again. He approached me with this song other lovers that he had when he wrote when he was going through this breakup with this chick he was like madly in love with for for because you know artists we fall madly in love with everything and everyone so he approached me with a song other lovers and he was like hey dude i wonder if this can be a fayuka song i don't think it'll fit squeegee and he had like the verse and then what he thought was the chorus ended up turning into the pre-chorus and i thought it was great i was like dude this is a beautiful song like Let's work on it together and like make it like a Fayuka song. So then it was just, it lived as a demo forever and we never got to it. And then when we got into the studio with Matt Keller, who was our, our producer, he told us to send him everything that we had, even if it was crap. And then we would like figure out what, what we, what songs we were going to put on the record. So then that was one of the demos that made the cut, but we felt that there was something missing. Like the chorus could have been stronger. And then we ended up just kind of like mapping everything out on Pro Tools and like doing like the basic instrumentation or whatever. And then when it got to the chorus, Matt Keller came up with these with these chords that sounded like an obvious chorus, but we didn't have the obvious melody or lyrics. Danny then starts like humming, Dan, Danny T, he starts humming this like, like mouthing this like melody. Whatever the hell you know. And, um, and then we all go into these separate rooms and just start putting together words. And then we come back and then collectively wrote that chorus. And then once that chorus hit, the song kind of came together. And it was interesting because when he wrote it a couple of years ago, when he was going through that breakup, he was in one point in his life. And you can hear that through the verses and the pre-chorus. And then when we all go back and write this chorus, we're at a different place in our life. Like, I'm I'm married and he's got a girlfriend that he's been with for years and he's in love. So that heartache isn't there anymore. But we had to think about how do we dig into our into our heart and like really express what we really feel. And that's why where, the, where that chorus hits, it there's almost like a, a twist in like what we're saying what we're t- talking about, but yet it still makes sense. And it's just like about letting go of that lover because that love it because you and that lover don't love the way the lover should love you know what i mean um and it's almost like coming to terms with letting go of someone so it was was interesting i don't think that that song could have been written at the time that it was written because the chorus probably would have been some sad sobby chorus you know um whereas like now when we approached it in the studio with matt keller and you know matt keller's also been with his with his girl for years and like you know, we're in a different place. It was easy to like approach that song with a whole different 
mentality. And, um, you know, Dan, Danny, he wrote, he wrote great lyrics and we didn't want to like let that song fall apart. So when we approached, when we approached the, the rest of that song, it was like, how many layers and textures can we add on to this? Can we throw some, some clav in there? Can we throw some organ? Can we throw some like really pretty, like sound effects in the background that just kind of add a texture that like really, really like support what the chorus is saying, you know? And we just went, we went ham on that. I mean, we, 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 we did a ton of tracks of just like layers and textures and then just started taking things apart and, and throwing some things away and adding some other things. And it was probably one of the most funnest, the most fun I've ever had in, in a, in a recording session and especially collaborating with two awesome and talented musicians like Danny and, and Matt Keller. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely, I definitely see the storytelling now that you've you've i mean i already felt the transition the chorus had a different vibe uh, i've listened probably about 10 10 15 times now to just just because I, I love the song so much um yeah yeah no problem man and and so that, that that's really interesting I, I think that a lot of songs sort of stay in one moment mm-hmm. so it's it, i i think it's a beautiful thing that you weren't uh, afraid to to just like hey you know that's how we felt but but let's let's tell them how we feel now you know like there's some perspective to that song which I don't think you get. A lot of songs are sort of like, no pun intended, one note, you know? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. And it's cool that like, it almost gives me hope that, you know, you're writing a song and you get stoked on it and maybe like something about it, you're like, eh, this, something is wrong about it though. But like, that doesn't mean that the song is over, that's bad. It just isn't the right time. Like, it's almost like the song is about, like even with like women and stuff, you know, sometimes you find the perfect girl, but it's just the wrong timing and you just can't make it work. And sometimes it's the same thing with songs. Dude, story of my life, dude. <laughs> I think I think Big Sean said it. What's the perfect girl if it's not the perfect time? And damn, is he right? Wow, that's that's a beautiful lyric. Yeah, his song um, "Don't Tell Me You Love Me," dude. That song's a hit. I gotta check it out. Yeah, but yeah, man, I think that like this whole new record, man, is like it's crazy because it's very like change in perspective driven. Um, the opening song, "Powerful." And and when when we put it out, you're gonna be one of the first ones to to get the record, so you could put it on your podcast or just at least jam it. But the opening song, the opening song, powerful, is about you know my son, my when he was a newborn, he ended up uh, with meningitis and was like an ICU in, in the in the hospital and like, you know, pretty much all things pointed to he was gonna die, and like to watch this like four day old baby you know, at that age, they don't have an immune system to watch this four day old baby, just like his body just go into like survival mode and like up his feedings and go into like a baby coma and sleep through it. And like all of a sudden just like beat meningitis, you know, it was like, it, it added perspective to, to life, you know? Um, so rather than writing a song about my son being in the hospital, I couldn't get out of my mind like how powerful humans are, you know, and like how like what like how slim those chances of you actually living, you know, making it into this world are. You know, how many how many babies don't make it into this world? And like how how we should be grateful that we're here because it's such it, it it's such a risky thing coming into this world at such, you know, young delicate state. So <clears throat> that kind of plays like you know, it's a very good song. It's very powerful. It's very like it's very groovy. It features uh, Ian from Tatanka, and um, 
I think that like the whole record is is that it's almost like revisiting these feelings that we used that we used to have, but like almost like speaking about them from a different perspective, almost as like you've grown from it, or like you're you're revisiting these old feelings in a sense. And um, the fact that you got that from that one song, "Other Lovers," I can't wait for you to hear the whole record because you're gonna be like, well, I mean, I don't know, I am, I don't know how you're gonna feel about it, but I think people are just gonna be like, holy shit, like this is all just like lyrics about, you know, perspective and looking beyond where you are right now in life. You know what I'm saying? Does that all make sense at all? 100% man. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure people would want to know, I'm sure your, your son's doing great now, right? Oh yeah. He's a monster. He's huge. God, God, <laughs> God bless man. That That yeah. is incredible. Yeah. And, that's awesome. And, and yeah. I think that, um, you know, your music has really resonated with me since I found it about, I'd say, six, six months ago. I, I, came, I came into effect, and one of the first people I thought of to have on this podcast was you guys for that very reason. And I just I think everyone listening to this right now has got to be fired up to, to listen to your music, whether they're familiar with your band or not. Well, yeah, I mean, I hope so. That's, you know, we, we put out the best music that we possibly can write at the time, and we just hope that everyone can just, like, enjoy it for what it is and fall in love with it as much as we are in love with with the people that we play it for you know yeah i think i think listening to you talk today is just a very apparent that like music even if you write it about you know a specific experience that you had that doesn't mean that someone who hasn't had that exact same experience can't relate to the feeling that you're putting into that song which i think is really cool you know like you wrote like even just about uh, other lovers like you got he started writing it about a breakup and then when you guys finished it you were not dealing with a breakup so you had to figure out something else and i think that's just really cool that music it just like transcends almost intent you know like you yeah. can you can put out a sad song and be like i was feeling sad this song makes me sad. Here's a sad song. And someone could hear that sad song and be like, yeah, that's sad, but that pumps me up for like the future and it makes me happy. Yeah. It's just like music is crazy, man. <laughs> that's why it's the language of the world, you know? Amen to that. Very true. And, and with that being said, I think that's a perfect, that's a perfect note to wrap it up on. Uh, Gabba, we could talk to you forever, man. Thank you so much. For, <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to have to have you back. For Yeah, anytime, anytime you want. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Dude. I, I I mean, I hope that we can have more conversations later. And the next time we're in New York, I hope we can meet up. I'd, I'd, I'd love to, like, shake your hand and give you a big hug one day. Hell yeah, oh, dude. Oh, for, for sure, man. Um, I'm look, looking forward to that. Now, before we let you go, where can the listeners find you? Where can they keep up to date with Fayuka? Let them know when that new album's coming out again. And uh, you just, you know, just give everyone the, the know-how to find you. Um, all streaming services, Spotify, Deezer, uh, Apple Music, Amazon, iTunes, um, and then just basically follow our journey through our Instagram, which is where we're most active on, um, or Facebook or whatever social media site you use. But like, we respond really well on our Instagram and it's just, the handle is just Fayuka, F-A-Y-U-C-A. Amazing, man. And when's that new album dropping? Uh, fall, fall 2019. Cool. So keep, keep an eye out for that. Everyone listening. Gabo, thank you again so much for being a part of our show. And uh, we're going to leave you guys with Other Lovers by Fayuka. Thank you, guys. You don't have to stay, but you don't have to leave. I feel you like yesterday, and I've been miles and miles away. When everything is gone, and I still got you need I know we had you yesterday
I got the 